you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. One good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. You found the Down East Mike Podcast. Lucky you. We, uh, we come to you several times a week from Down East Maine and, uh, you know, we're, we're officially categorized as comedy. We, we tried to position ourselves as real news, had news, if you will. And somebody got a hold of us out there in the internets and they said, no, he's comedy. I think they'll look back on it years from now and determine it was actually tragedy. Masquerading as something else. Uh, but here on the, the Down East Mike podcast, we cover the old news and the new news, and then we try to show it how little things have changed over the years. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to live in this state of Maine. We have first-class medical uh, facilities here. Down East Mike went to the doctor yesterday. It wasn't a wellness check. They used to call it like a physical, and they, lately they call it a wellness check because they want to make sure you're well. It's not physical. It's wellness. It's like the 360-degree uh, shot at looking at, at what, what, what your cell condition is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, dear. So anyway, the doctor, they still have a stethoscope, and that's pretty dirty. When they put that on your chest, you know, that's actually the dirtiest thing in the doctor's office. But I had to wear a mask and everything, and he's he's pumping up for checking my blood pressure, and he's like, oh, dear, your blood pressure's gone up. Are you taking your medication? And I was like, oh, sure I am. And he looks at his chat and he pecks away a little bit and he says, well, I'm looking at this and it looks like your prescription ran out in 2020. And I said, huh, well, I still have lots of pills. He said, well, you're not taking it. I said, yeah, I am. So we had a little back and forth, not a total set to, but he almost called out down East Mike on a lie. And we'll have to do a pill inventory. Maybe one of the conditions of the pills is it makes makes you forgetful. And that would explain things. Or I could have been taking somebody else's pills. But either way, I think we both have a little bit of the truth spun in there somewhere. And actually, that gets us back to our motto here on the Down East Mike podcast that some of this is whimsy. Some of this is true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. This is Saturday, May 14th, 2022, and in today's episode, Maine fire danger is high. The brown tail moths are hanging around. Skylab is going to launch this afternoon at 1 p.m., well, that was actually May 14th, 1973. We have news from 1901. This day in 1901, Widow Katcher has captured two burglars. That's a great story you don't want to miss. Mr. Fred Cloutier collides with an electric car. May 14th, 1901. We have Maine's Mammal of the Moment and so very much more. But we are going to start off the day with 
our word of the day, which is sanctimonious. We won't bother spelling it. That's a long word to spell. The definition of sanctimonious, hypocritically pious or devout, a sanctimonious moralist. The king's sanctimonious rebuke, which G.B. Shaw said, obsolete, says, possessing sanctity, holy. How Shakespeare used sanctimonious. There's nothing sacred about sanctimonious, at least not anymore, but in the early 1600s, the English adjective was still sometimes used to describe someone truly holy or pious, a sense that recalls the meaning of the word's Latin parent, sanctimonii. Shakespeare used both the holy and holier-than-thou senses in his work, referring in the tempest to the sanctimonious, that is, holy ceremonies of marriage, and in measure for measure to describe the sanctimonious pirate that went to sea with the Ten Commandments but scraped one out of the table. Apparently, the pirate found the restriction on stealing a bit too inconvenient. Uh, we did some sample sentences. Sanctimonious first came into print in 1603, and some of the other words that were used at that time, or combination of words, animal heat, wow, city hall, coherency, decrepitude, epidemic, flutist, forebode, and expectance. Those were some of the other words that were commonly in print in 1603. How about our birthdays of the day here on the Down East Mike podcast? Happy birthday today to Charlotte in Ecom Secom, Nova Scotia, going outside our range a little bit. The name of that community is derived from the Mi'kmaq language. It means a red house. The first Europeans to settle in the Ecom Secom area were loyalists during the 1780s. Now, we don't actually know anyone named Charlotte and Ecomsecum, but we really wanted to say the town name, so we're making up a person and saying, Happy Birthday, Charlotte. How about Sue of Lower Muscadabit, Nova Scotia? She's celebrating her 42nd birthday again today. Much like our fictitious friend Charlotte and Ecomsecum, we don't really know anybody named Sue in Lower Muscadabit, Nova Scotia, but we wanted to say the name of the town. The name of the valley, as well as the name of several communities within it, is derived from the Mi'kmaq word Muskadukabukawik, meaning suddenly widening out after a narrow entrance at its mouth. We should say that again. Well, not the Muskadukabukawik part, but meaning it's suddenly widening out after a narrow entrance at its mouth. Every town should be named like that. Lower Muscadabba. And I love those Nova Scotian towns because they have like Lower Muscadabba, Upper Muscadabba, Middle Muscadabba, Lower Upper, upper Muscadabba. And it was a good way for them to keep track of where people lived without having to come up with an entirely new town name based on you know, the aforementioned. Anyway, let's go to the modern news. 
Maine fire danger is high today. A stretch of dry weather has put much of Maine at high fire risk. It's creating conditions that make it easy for wildfires to ignite and spread. And fire danger is high throughout southern, central, and eastern Maine, according to the uh, Maine Forest Service daily wildfire report. The risk of wildfires is moderate in northern Maine, bordering the Quebec province. Uh, when the fire danger is high, all dead fuel, such as grass, can ignite readily, and unattended brush fires and campfires are likely to escape their bounds. Fires spread rapidly and become, can become serious and quite dangerous to control. Uh, Ken Nelson, who is a forest ranger specialist with the Maine Forest Service, said an unusually long stretch of relative low humidity, it's been five days, combined with high winds have created the dangerous conditions. The last time we saw a long stretch of relative humidity under 20% was 1948. And in the last three days, there have been at least 43 wildfires across the state. Other news, the brown-tailed moth severity in Maine hinges on rain. The bad news for Maine is it's likely to be another bad season for the brown-tailed moth. Um, while many of us have been enjoying the picturesque sunny spring weather in recent weeks, it's not the type of weather that will help reduce brown-tailed moth populations. The, uh, they also cause a, the tree defoliation and rashes. Forest insect experts predict that this year's brown-tailed moth conditions will be as bad as last year, the worst that Maine has ever experienced unless more rain falls in the next month, to, which will help bolster the spread of diseases that kill the caterpillars. They're pretty nasty. Uh, they have some pictures here of people with rashes and stuff of what happens when you come in contact with them. Uh, in the news from 1973, Skylab was getting ready to launch. This day, May 14, 1973, from Cape Kennedy, I think they've renamed it three or four times back and forth, Cape Canaveral, uh, three Skylab one astronauts uh, flew to the spaceport uh, on Sunday, 1973, to watch uh, Monday afternoon's launch of the eight-room space station that they will call home on a record-breaking 420-orbit, 28-day space research voyage. So the countdown was for a um, 1.30 p.m. blast-off, which would have been this afternoon, all of the hardware seems to be in good shape and ready to go, said the Skylab program director, William C. Schneider. Both countdowns are going on schedule. They're tracking the network and recovery forces are all in place and ready to go. Astronauts Charles Pete Conrad, Dr. Joseph P. Kerwin, and Paul J. White flew to the Cape from Houston early Sunday afternoon in two white T-38 jet trainers. They motored quickly to their comfortable spaceport quarters and took the rest of the day off. I don't know what that means. The three astronauts, all Navy officers, will undergo brief medical examinations Monday morning and then watch the launch of their space base from a restricted viewing area about three and a half miles from the launch pad. 
I wonder if they have the same kind of medical exam back then that Downey's Mike has to go through. Other news from 1973, a St. Bernard, we, we do the hard news here. The St. Bernard has 18 puppies. This is from Philadelphia. Lady Samantha is pooped. Over a 20-hour period, the 180-pound St. Bernard has given birth to 18 puppies. All but two of the puppies have survived. Sam's owners, Christine and Donald Husher, aren't sure if that's some sort of record, but they're going to make sure the new mama doesn't have a chance to top it. That was just too many, Husher said Saturday. She's tired and she comes first. We'll probably fix her. How about an advertisement from Kmart back in 1973? Monday and Tuesday specials. You had to be there. Knit shirts for men. It's got a guy with long hair and he's got a big mustache. Knit shirts. They're regularly $3.44 for two days only. $2.88. And I can tell you the shirt looks about as ugly as you can imagine. Uh, no iron shirts for ladies. $3.22 for two days only. If you went in the rustic store shop and save graves, uh, it says, hooray, it's dime time. Shoppers, slash your bills. Beech nut strained baby food, four and a half ounce jars, only 10 cents. That would come in handy today with all the baby food shortages. Rain Barrel Fabric Softener, 48 ounce bottle for 88 cents. And there's a coupon if you wanted to cut it for Duncan Hines Brownie Mix, three 15 and a half ounce boxes for 88 cents. You could make a brownie sheet cake, put ice cream on it, make another brownie sheet cake, put that on top and have just a great sandwich for 88 cents. Uh, Jiffy Mix, 10 cents a box. Instant Potatoes, 10 cents. And Staff Salt, 26-ounce box of salt, 10 cents. And some Scotty's Hankies to clean it all up with, just 10 cents. And if you wanted to freshen up, Safeguard Deodorant Soap, 10 cents. But I think you'd have to cut the coupon in its two bars for 20 cents. One last highlight of this advertisement here. Staff frozen pre-sweetened lemonade in a six ounce can. And that was only 10 cents. You remember that stuff? Yeah? Frozen, like just sugar water. And then you'd add some tap water to it, shake it all up. You could put ice cubes in it. It wouldn't last long, especially if the neighborhood boys came over and they'd been out playing in the yard. They'd drink that all down right quick. Oh, Corky Dog Food for 10 cents and a book of matches for 10 cents. You could have so much fun with just a buck back then. Uh, if you needed a little lift, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, Pop Go the Donuts. Buy one dozen donuts, get a quart of Coke for only 15 cents. They've got a box, uh, pitch it here, Dunkin' Donuts. It's uh, The lid's open. I mean, the pictures are black and white, but the donuts look really good. They see a little bit of light gleaming off the glaze. And next to that, there's the uh, glass bottle of Coca-Cola, which, of course, the bottle itself worth much more than 15 cents today. 
and I think it says it's the real thing, and and that Coke Coke is right next to the Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, they say they go go together, particularly at these bargain prices. And it's good through Saturday, May nineteenth, nineteen seventy three. And underneath the logo, it says, "Give somebody Dunkin' Donuts, get some loving back." And that was available at the Dunkin' Donuts on Pres Presque Isle, two ninety six Main Street. You can probably go in there and mention Down East Mike, and they may still have that available. Uh, 1972 Plymouth Cricket. Great features, great prices, and a great buy. It gives you quality features you might not expect in a little economy car, like unibody construction, power front disc brakes, four on the floor, fully synchronized transmission, front bucket seats, and low operating costs. The price right down there where it means substantial savings for you. It's something special, so come on in, get a great buy on a little car. I don't think I've ever seen a Plymouth Cricket. I don't even know if they're still around. Uh, Wolco had uh, VO5 hairspray for $1.57, golf fishing hats for $0.97, cents. Arnold Palmer golf ball, $6.97 a dozen, they'll end up in the woods. Northern paper towels, three for eighty-eight cents. Uh, we had a story from Boston around this time. A keen-nosed dog led customs agents to some seven hundred and fifty pounds of hashish that was hidden in the false ceiling of a London double-decker bus that had been converted to a camper. You can almost see the hippie in this one. Customs agents said it was the largest seizure of hashish ever made on the East Coast. Five Californians were arrested Saturday after, uh, after agents, led by a detective dog named Duke, spent 12 hours dismantling the bus to find the drug. The bus arrived as cargo aboard the SS Aransar from Cochin, India. As soon as the camper door was open, Duke began to wag his tail, giving me the signal that he was on to something, said Special Agent Michael Murphy. The dog immediately ran up the stairs and started scratching at one corner of the floor. He then began barking and biting and running up and down. There was so much of it the dog was confused. In the area between the ceiling of the first deck and the floor of the second, agents said they found two 12-foot rows, 18 inches wide and 8 inches deep, crammed with hashish. I don't even know what that is. The dog was wrapped in, I'm sorry, the drug was wrapped in plastic bags molded to resemble imitation footwear soles to fit size 9 shoes. That must have been ugly. Customs said those arrested members of the same family, try to get your head around this, they arrested the, those arrested members of the same family traveled under false passports and spent a year touring Europe and Asia before making the alleged drug buy in Afghanistan for $10,000. They were identified as John Murray, 24, and his wife Kathy of Lake City, California, Richard Murray, 20, and his wife Patricia, 20, and Dennis Murray, 23, all of Walnut Creek, California. I can't quite sort it out. We had husband, wife, husband, wife, and then 
a brother apparently, and it said they're all members of the same family. Probably the most remarkable thing about this story is that we had two sets of drug dealers and a and a and they were they were all married. Different times. Uh, let's go back to 1901. The Lewiston Evening Journal, May May 14th. Uh, Widow Kutcher captured two burglars and marched them along half a mile. At the muzzle of a revolver, Mrs. Ella Kutcher of Elizabeth, New Jersey, halted two men at four o'clock in the morning at her residence and marched them half a mile to United States Senator John Kern's house from which place they were placed in charge of the Elizabeth police, Miss Elizabeth, New York. Mrs. Catcher, who was a widow, was alone in the place when she heard a noise. Jumping out of bed, she grasped a revolver and ran downstairs. There, she confronted a young man. She covered him with a revolver and ordered him to throw up his hands. This is a classic, you know, this is a stick-up situation. He quickly complied, and at that moment, Mrs. Catcher uh, uh, spied another man hiding behind a door. She ordered him to step out and also hold up his hand if he did not want to be shot. He likewise did as commanded. I yield. Mrs. Katcher then made the intruders walk ahead of her to Senator Kern's residence and at the same time keeping her weapon leveled at them. When the senator's place was reached, Mrs. Katcher rang the bell with one hand while covering her captives at the same time with her revolver. The butler responded, and she directed him to telephone the police headquarters, and officers soon arrived and took the men into custody. The men are brothers and said they had been working on a farm in Union Township. There will be a rain today. A wonderful story. Mr. Fred Cloutier collided with an electric car on this day, 1901, it was a narrow escape from injury. Mr. Fred Cloutier of Lewiston had a narrow escape from a serious accident. He was driving one of the grocery teams for the firm of W.E.N.C. Cloutier, uh, W.E.N.C. Cloutier, excuse me, and he came up the river road across from the Lisbon Road, nearly opposite Kerrigan's store on Bleacher Hill. Just as he reached the Lisbon Road and was crossing the electric track, the Lisbon four o'clock car came down the hill at full speed and struck the wagon, knocking it over between the track and the fence. Mr. Cloutier fortunately was upon the further side and was thrown away from the track instead of upon it. He sustained no injuries, although this seemed unaccountable to those who saw the accident. You can see the horse everywhere, the wheels and shafts of the wagons, were badly broken up and the horse was cut in several places but not seriously. This accident, which is not the first of its kind upon this spot, should serve as further warning to Teamsters of the danger of the thin private road from the river to the Lisbon Street. From Lima, Peru, uh, Lima has another display in the heavens, a brilliant media divided. Actually from May 13th, Lima, Peru, uh, yesterday, a brilliant meteor appeared and suddenly divided into two parts, one fiery red and the other a bright bluish white. They seemed to fall into the ocean. Uh, also on this day, Robert Bridges of Bangor, a traveling salesman, disappeared from the hotel in Fort Kent Saturday night. He's not been found, according to the Bangor News. He left his watch and his money in his grip 
at the hotel. The night was very dark, and it's feared that the man has drowned. Well, we've reached that point where it's time for the main mammal of the moment. And today it is the minke whale, or the lesser rocule. It's a species complex of the baleen whale, so they have that fine uh, set of baleen teeth. The two species of minke whale are the common or northern minke whale and the Antarctic or southern minke whale. It was first described by the Danish naturalist Otto Fabricius in 1780, who assumed it must be an already known species, and assigned his specimen to Balina rostrata, a name given to the northern bottlenose whale. Uh, it's a name, it's partial translation of Norwegian Mink Havel, possibly after a Norwegian whaler named Minky who mistook a northern Minky whale for a blue whale. I don't know how you make that mistake. There's got to be some difference. A couple other Minky related stories uh, from Campobello Island. A young Minky whale is again swimming the chilly waters of the Atlantic Ocean this week thanks to a three day rescue effort by Canadian and American volunteers off Campobello Island. Dorothy Spiro, president of the West Quaddy Biological Research Station in Lubeck, Maine, said Tuesday that the 20-foot whale swam into a fish weir between Head Harbor Passage and Mill Cove on the ocean side of Campobello Island. The weir is owned by Campobello fisherman Tiger Alley. We got the call last Tuesday. We got a bunch of divers together and went out to have a look. and They set that whale free. Uh, from 1982, there was a minke whale in Spruce Head. There's a fish story with a happy ending circulating in Spruce Head this week. And the subject of all the talk is circulating too, probably in the deep waters of the Gulf of Maine, a place where a whale can get a satisfying meal without a lot of hang-ups. Although it's common knowledge here on land that whales are mammals and not fish at all, it's not common knowledge among whales that swimming in human-infested waters can get you hung up. And that's what happened Monday to a 20-foot minke whale who got himself or herself hogtied while cruising with baleen unfurled just below the surface a mile off Spruce Head. Tenant's Harbor Lobsterman Nate Fuller was on his way home at 4 p.m. that day after a hard day's labor when he spotted the minke entangled in pot warp a mile or so south of Whitehead Light. The whale had a length of polypropylene rope stuck in its mouth, wrapped around its head and extending the length of its back. The rope was wrapped around the big mammal's great big tail, attached to which were two wire lobster traps. Poor thing. Fuller went home and called commercial diver Steve Waterman. How can you be a commercial diver and have a name like Waterman? Uh, he operates a diving shop and service center out of his home on Spruce Head. Waterman is also a fisherman, of course, and during the summer months he takes small charter groups fishing on his 36-foot Viking. A former Navy diver and underwater photographer, Waterman dives for scallops in the winter. Maybe he's a winterman too and a scallop scallopman too. Meanwhile, lobsterman Ralph and Woodbury Post, also homeward bound, spotted the entangled whale. They couldn't get close enough to the wrapped up whale to cut the cords that marine biologists, uh, we're getting those names, 
uh, let's get back to water. I mean, he entered the pitch black water at 8.27 p.m. and the minky was free at 8.30. The whole thing only took about three minutes. I'm glad he did the math for us. I was really impressed with his courage, Sherman said. I would hope in the future that Steve will be the one who's called for in this kind of situation. A similar story had a sadder ending last year off Big Green Island. They had one that died there. Um, well, let's get the waterman. Uh, when he went over, the whale was just under the surface. I swam over to him and he didn't react to me at all. I cut the rope on his head and pulled it partway out of his mouth. I talked to him quietly like you'd talk to a dog. I told him to let go of the rope and he did. When the whale started sinking and he sank 50 feet, Waterman followed him down with a flashlight and cut the rope on the tail. He just kicked it loose. When I came to the surface, I heard him blow about 50 yards away and he took off down the channel. Waterman and Sherman speculate that the plankton-eating minke was cruising open-mouthed, filtering plankton in and water out of its baleen mouth when it ran headlong into the fishing lines, became more entangled as it struggled to free itself. Eventually, he would have drowned, said Waterman. The minke whale headed out to sea and the fishermen headed home. Late Monday night, Waterman was at home in Spruce Head with his wife Mary and their four children. The kids were tucked in bed and Mary was talking to a reporter on the telephone. Can you imagine jumping into the ocean at night with a whale, Mary asked. I wouldn't do it at marine land. That's a hot woman's story. Minky whales are really something, but they, they don't stay on the surface long. You, you probably wouldn't see one too much if you're on a, on a whale watch. That's pretty much the Down East Mike uh, podcast for today. Let's take a quick look at the National Weather Service forecast. For today, unnaturally warm here in Maine. Sunny with a high near 89. West wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Some showers and thunderstorms tonight followed by scattered showers in the overnight for Sunday. A chance of showers before 7 a.m. and then just uh, maybe some sprinkles throughout the day. Monday uh, Monday through Tuesday, some more showers with a highs near 72 or so, so moderating temperatures as we get through uh, the upcoming days. But certainly today, it's going to be a steamy one out there. Good day to head to the to the beach if if you're so inclined well thank you very much for listening i hope that you and your loved ones enjoy a day that is full of grace love and kindness and until next time this is down east mike saying we'll see you